the spirit that we just heard that's within us is the spirit of a king. It's the spirit of Jesus Christ. And he promises to take the word of God when we read the Bible and apply it into the fiber of our being. And our scripture passage this evening, or this morning, is uh, for, for, for Christ the King Sunday, is John chapter 18, uh, verses 33 through 38. In this little paragraph, Jesus has a conversation with Pontius Pilate. And uh, this conversation leaves Pontius Pilate with a question that is as pressing for us today as it was for him in the first century. So let's all pull out a Bible and turn to John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. And if you didn't bring a Bible, grab the black book and the rack in front of you and pull, pull that out and turn to page 881. And if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's honor our king by reading his word aloud together. John 18, verses 33 through 38. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? This is the word of the Lord. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we yearn to hear your voice this morning. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, our hearts would be quieted and our minds attentive to what you want to say through your word, in Christ's name, amen. What is truth? That's the question. Well, the football uh, chugs through the sky towards the end zone. Kyle and CJ launch airborne from the couch. Kyle in purple and gold, CJ in crimson and gray. Above the end zone, the scoreboard, six seconds, five seconds, and the score, Huskies 24, Cougars 28. Last chance for the Huskies. Kyle, CJ, hang in the air, suspended in time and space, a yellow bowl rotating end over end above the coffee table, popcorn spraying like autumn shower. A wordless howl shakes the walls. They stretch out their arms towards the TV, shirts rising as their bodies arc earthwards towards a glitter of cans and carpet. Three, two, one. The camera zooms to the back corner of the field. No one can hear the whistle or anything but the blood between their ears. But there's no mistaking a purple ball carrier diving over the right end zone marker or the triumphant gyrations of Kyle's belly as he stomps on the coffee table in what could only be described as a victory spasm, pulsing to the rhythms of CJ's no, 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 Cougars 28, Huskies 30. But wait... 
An official is running up the sideline. What? Kyle shouts at the screen. There's a replay. Look, 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 CJ shouts. He stepped out of bounds. No, he didn't. Kyle backs him off with a stiff arm. Yes, his right foot hit the line. No way. Yes way. No. Yes. No. The network cuts to a political ad. <laughs> no one budges until they drop to the couch and sit on the popcorn. Kyle, CJ starts in calmly, sounding a little too much like his dad. I saw his foot coming down right on the line. That was not a touchdown. Kyle snapped back. You saw what you wanted to see, that's all. You're hardly neutral. CJ, well, what about you, Kyle? What did you want to see? Are you any more objective than I? You went to UW. Kyle, yes, but you didn't just go to Wazoo. You grew up in Pullman. You're a third-generation cougar. So, are we just going to say we each have our own truths that in your universe the Huskies wins and in mine the Cougars? Kyle, no, all I'm saying is the truth isn't a matter of what you want, it's a matter of what actually is, what really happened. And what happened was, dogs won. <laughs> if you don't believe me, stick around for the instant replay. We'll get the ruling from the booth. CJ, they're not going to be able to tell. There were too many people in the scrum. Kyle, just wait. The truth is, he never touched the line. They'll see that in the review upstairs. CJ, no, they won't. They're looking at the same shots we are. And the fact is, there's just no good angle. It was too crowded. But even if they could see, what difference should it make? Kyle, they're objective. CJ, no, they're not. They're paid by the league. They're sitting in Husky Stadium. And they're not even part of the game. They're no different than you or I, just spectators. They don't know the truth. Kyle, well, then who, in your opinion, does CJ? CJ, well, the truth is part of the game. It's never about what happens so much as what the rules say. And the rules say that the truth is determined by the referee. And Kyle, the referee said he stepped out of bounds. Game over. Cougs win. Really? That guy, Kyle says, why should we trust him? Why not the peanuts guy? CJ, authority. Kyle, authority? Because he has a whistle and a striped shirt and an R on his back? Who cares? CJ, the people on the field care, they let him be the arbiter of truth. That's what the rules say. He gets to make the call. He's part of the game. Kyle, so if 22 players saw a guy in a striped shirt, uh, say, say that a guy in a striped shirt gets to tell us what's true, why not the people in the stands? CJ, the people in the stands. Kyle, yeah, you have your 22 people on the field looking to the ref, or really just 11 in this case, but I've got 50,000 dogs in that stadium all telling me touchdown Huskies. CJ, so now truth is a popularity contest? What, are we going to vote on it? Kyle, we don't have to vote. And your referee knows it, because here's what he knows. Either way, the game is over. Eventually, he'll have to go to his car, and he parked in a Husky parking lot. And that's the truth. What is truth? Good question. It's as interesting as it is in a football game, it's all the more pressing when the stakes are higher as they are in this conversation between Pontius Pilate and Jesus Christ. In coming before Pontius Pilate, Jesus has come before what Yale professor Miroslav Volf calls the truth of power. Jesus is under arrest. Pontius Pilate is the man who will determine his fate, power. 
Pontius Pilate has gotten his power from Tiberius Caesar in AD 26. Pontius Pilate is appointed a governor of Judea. He usually lives in an estate on the Mediterranean Sea built by Herod the Great, now deceased. He would commute, though, during high holy days to Jerusalem to take up residency in what uh, is now called the Antonia Fortress, uh, was then called the Praetorium. Praetorium was a military command center, and they had a uh, the, the Romans had built a fortress on the northwest corner of the temple platform in Rome so that they could keep an eye on the Jews, their subjects. Power for Pilate not only came from Tiberius Caesar, it also came from Caiaphas, the high priest, a Jew whose role was not only religious but also political. He was appointed to serve the Sanhedrin, to lead it, and uh, to hold this fragile stability of a community, the Jewish community, under Roman oppression. Pontius Pilate plays between these two leaders and their power bases. He's a politician. He understands the truth of power, that if you pay your dues and keep the Jews happy and pay your dues and keep the Romans happy, you can keep your house by the sea and stay in power. For Pontius Pilate, whatever keeps you in power is the truth. Now, we understand the truth of power. We appreciate Pontius Pilate's question, what is truth, very much. We we almost admire uh, his sophistication. He seems very urbane. We like his skepticism. Skepticism for us is not an elective feature of our lives. It's essential. It's a survival skill. Because you and I are bombarded by truth claims every second of our waking day. Advertisements, fake news, doctored videos, investigations of investigations. We live inside of media streams that trap us in echo chambers of our own biases. And none of this is benign. All of it is designed to move us or compel us in one way or another. What we call postmodernism has taught us to be suspicious of any truth claim that purports to be global or universal in nature. We've come to see them as potentially, at least potentially, coercive or imperialistic power plays. Friedrich Nietzsche once wrote, what is truth but a lie agreed upon? Richard Rorty wrote, truth is made rather than found. Michel Foucault wrote, truth is linked in a circular relation with systems of power which produce and sustain it. The truth of power. Truth as power. It's hard not to see our postmodern skepticism in Pilate's detachment. He says, I'm not a Jew, Uh, am I? These are questions that belong to your people, not mine. This is your truth we're talking about. What difference does it make to me? If your king were a king, he'd be your king, not my king. You and I are in two different cultures, you Jews, we Romans, two different worlds. Your culture has your rules, mine has my rules. You live by your truth, I'll live by my truth. How could you look down on me or pass judgment on me without asserting that I'm at a deficit to you or asserting your privilege over me? What is truth? Talk of objective truth. 
Pilate seems to say, let's honestly just call it what it is, naked power. All Pilate knows is the truth of power. Okay, but Jesus is different, isn't he? Pilate here is officially the judge, but notice Jesus is the one asking the more penetrating questions. The interrogation seems to change. There's irony here. In coming before Pontius Pilate, Jesus comes before the truth of power. But in coming before Jesus Christ, Pontius Pilate comes before the power of truth, the power of truth, the power of truth. I don't know if you're like me, but when I get to this point in the gospel, after having read 18 chapters of the gospel of John, and I see this conversation, my heart yearns for Pontius Pilate. I yearn for his mind, his heart, his soul, to see who it is who's standing right in front of him. Pontius Pilate is this close, this close. He's so intriguing. He's face to face with truth itself. This is the witness of of St. John who writes this gospel, that truth is a person. (laughs) That in the beginning, the truth, the word of God became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his Glory, we could see the face of truth in a person, the Son of God. We read this part and we think about Pilate and we find ourselves just screaming at the page, as it were. Pilate, you're standing before your truth. Pilate, the one who's standing in front of you is the one who stood before the Creator before all time. The one who stood before St. John himself and gave him life. The one who stood before Nicodemus and gave him a new birth. The one who stood before a Samaritan woman who had five husbands and gave her sexual healing. The one who stood before a man who'd been blind from birth and gave him sight. Pontius Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? Wouldn't you love to hear the tone of that? Love to know how he says that. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus Christ says, well, wait a minute. Do you ask on your own or did others tell you about? He's probing the source of truth behind this question. He's sort of scanning Pontius Pilate and his intellectual understanding of of what he knows Is this question, Pilate, coming from your socially constructed truth? Is this coming from a set of beliefs that are shaped by your culture? Are you asking because you're willing to confront your own biases? Or are you only going to believe what keeps you safe, what keeps you in power? Are you only going to believe what your peers believe? Or are you, or are you asking for the true truth? Are you asking because maybe you'd like me to be your king? Because in the Gospel of John, that is the question that each of us must answer. Will the king of the Jews be your king? Because in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes these absolutely sweeping truth claims, claims that are absolute and universal He claims to be the truth, like in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you know me, you will know my father also. It's in the Gospel of John that although Jesus never claims to judge anyone, he's clear that apart from faith in him, we will all be judged. We all are judged already. In John 3, 17 and 18, Jesus says, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Who is this? Who would say this? Who could believe this? What is truth? If Pontius Pilate in this moment could understand these claims that Jesus is making about himself, there'd be ice freezing down his spine because he would know that these claims are greater than any claim imperial Rome ever made about a person or about this world. And he would think that if someone's making a claim as universal and as strong as the claim that Jesus is making, violence must not be far behind. Pilate would be afraid, but he shouldn't be. Because truth for Jesus is not rooted in power, military might, but in love, service. He's not making a play for power. Uh, that's not what Jesus is about. In fact, he says so. My kingdom is not of this world. It's, it, it's my kingdom is not like your kingdom. It's not like Tiberius's kingdom. It's a different kind of a, a, a kingdom. It, it, the truth, the power of truth and the truth of power exists in two different realms. This is not going to be settled in the streets or in the, the Senate. The truth of my kingdom is transcendent truth. It's not of this world. But how could this be, we wonder? A truth that is the truth for all people in all places, but a truth that is not compelled by evidence, not compelled by authority, not compelled by force. What is truth? Well, St. John's answer is this. Jesus offers us crucified truth. Truth that compels us with love. Jesus calls himself a witness here in this conversation, verse 37. He doesn't refer to himself as a judge, but a witness. He says, uh, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify. That's the word to witness, to be a witness. I was born to be a witness uh, to the truth, he says. And his witness is a cross. Jesus rules in power because he rules in love. Jesus is crucified truth. Comes to his throne, not by asserting power, but by being killed by power. He loves the world. This is God loving the world enough to allow the world to destroy him for its own salvation. Who can understand this? John 3, 16. So familiar, but what a mystery. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. I offer my life for you. I walk towards the cross for you, for your sins. I voluntarily submit to perishing so that you don't have to perish, so that this beloved creation will never perish. This is crucified truth 
speaking to us. This is the Jesus that we know. He's not coercive, but he is a king. And like any king, he tells us the way things are. He tells us the way things must be. He tells us the way things are going to be. But he's crucified truth. And, he, and the crucifixion speaks this truth into our lives. If Jesus were like Pilate, he would never speak of things that would trouble us. He'd never speak of hell, never speak of what to believe, never talk of justice or the poor, never speak to us of the meaning of our sex lives or of the dangers of pride or the uses of our money. But he's not like Pilate. He speaks the kind of truth that we can trust because it doesn't seek to dominate us. It seeks to serve us. And it's motivated not by power or fear, but by love. How could this be? We trust this truth, and this is the truth that we share with our neighbors. <clears throat> Last week, one of you who's an educator shared something with me that I found worth sharing with you. It was a very interesting conversation. She said, you know, I'm an educator and I train educators and I've been thinking about our mission here at UPC to go out into our neighborhood and love our neighbors. And I, I just, I find myself getting stuck. I said, why? Well, she said, well, because as an educator, the way we train teachers these days is uh, we tell them not to come into the classroom with a, what we call a deficit mindset. A deficit mindset, the sense that our students all have all the problems and that we as teachers have all the answers. And as I think about my neighbor, I, f I catch myself thinking about them with a, a deficit mindset and it makes me uncomfortable and I'm, I'm stuck here. And I thought, oh, I love the way you just said that because I get stuck in that exact same place. Who am I to tell you I have something you need? It just doesn't feel right in our culture today. But brothers and sisters, if our truth is crucified truth, that's not what we'll say. That's not what Jesus is about. There's a reframe here. We won't say, I have something that you don't, but we'll say, he has something that we, we don't. Jesus has something that we both need. Let us come to him together. I think we sometimes forget the difference between a, a judge and a witness, right? We're not judges. A judge is somebody who makes a decision that affects somebody else's life. That's not who we are. We don't come into our neighborhood as judges, but we do come as witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is somebody who comes into the courtroom and shares evidence, evidence of their own experience, evidence of what they have learned, evidence of change in, in them. A witness is somebody who gives evidence on the basis of which other people make their decisions. When you and I come into our neighborhoods, we give evidence on the basis of which our neighbors will make their decisions about Jesus Christ, about truth. And, and that's what Jesus said his mission was. If you notice in this passage, he said, I was born for this, to be a witness, not a judge. Crucified truth. Back to Yale theologian Miroslav Volf, he says, Jesus refused to place his own self above the truth and became the Messiah of the world. Crucified truth. This is Christ the King Sunday. 
Let's all prepare to meet our king. That's why we came. But let's be honest, the truth is we're all skeptics, all of us. I'm a skeptic. In some ways, we, we all believe something, but in many, many, many ways, we are much more like Pontius Pilate, or maybe we should say Thomas. You remember Thomas the doubter, doubting Thomas? I like him a lot, and I think maybe he should be our model. Thomas was also taken up with the most pressing question, what is truth? John tells us in chapter 20, near the end of the gospel, verse 25, Thomas apparently said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. I will not be carried away by all of your enthusiasm. I will not believe. But notice what Thomas says. He doesn't say, unless I see him or touch him alive again, He's interested in the wounds. Unless I can put my fingers in the wounds. For Thomas, it's not so much that he needs to know that Jesus is back from the dead. It's that he needs to know, did Jesus die for me? I need to make contact with that reality, with that love that the king gave his life for me. And so, a week later, crucified truth comes to Thomas. And he holds out his nail-scarred hands in an embrace. And Thomas does what we do when we come before a king, apparently, falls to his knees. And he exclaims, just as we've been exclaiming today, my Lord and my God. Brothers and sisters, our king is gathered us here because he intends to come to meet us today, to meet us at this table. This table is truth to be touched, his body, his blood, his love. Crucified, truth. And if you come before Jesus this morning, you come like I do, to a crossroads, there is a fork in your life and you have a decision to make. We stand before him at a crossroads and we look down one path and down that path, we can be our own truth and go as far as that will lead us. Or we can stop and change directions and go down the other path. The other path is the path in which he will be your truth. And his nail-scarred hand will take yours in his and he will be your guide. Like Pontius Pilate, the choice is ours. Will the king of the Jews be your king today? Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, whether just with our heads or with our hearts or maybe even on our knees, we bow before you this great Christ the King Sunday. We thank you because you have not seen fit to rule in glory from above and beyond, but that you stepped into time and space, into our history, that you've come to us, perhaps through a grandmother or a teacher or a neighbor or a friend who has been a witness in our lives and who has shared with us that there is truth for all, that there is a king over all. And so we bow before you. We worship you. Come be our king today. Come set us free for the fullness of life and the transformation to which 
you are calling all of creation. Someday will be ours. In his name we pray, amen.